Hey, it's Andrew, the director of Literary Arts. Here at Literary Arts, we rely on our community, people like you, for support. To help make this podcast and all our programming possible, give today. Literary-arts.org forward slash donate. Welcome to The Archive Project. I'm your co-host, Amanda Bullock. The Archive Project is a retrospective of some of the most engaging talks from the world's best writers for more than 35 years of literary arts in Portland. This week, we have a brand new episode exclusive to the show. If you listen often, you'll know that many of our episodes feature recordings of live events. And don't worry, plenty of those are coming this season as well. But this week's conversation is a bit different in that we recorded it specifically for The Archive Project. And this week's conversation is on something you honestly probably never think about unless you think about it all of the time. Disabled parenting. We'll hear from Eliza Hall, a contemporary musician, disability advocate, and writer based in regional Victoria, Australia. Eliza is the editor of a new anthology, We've Got This, Essays by Disabled Parents, which features stories from parents who identify as deaf, disabled, neurodiverse, or chronically ill. Eliza is joined by one of the anthology contributors, Rebecca Tausig, a writer, educator, and consultant with a PhD in nonfiction and disability studies. Rebecca is based in Kansas City and shares her story on her Instagram and in her book, Sitting Pretty, The View from My Ordinary Resilient Disabled Body. We were so interested in this conversation for many of the same reasons that Eliza put the anthology together. There seemed to be a decent number of resources for the parents of disabled children but really none for disabled parents. And it seems like that might be because a lot of people don't even conceive of the possibility of a disabled parent. But of course, disabled people are parents, and they have as much right to parent as anyone else. And they're good at it. Eliza and Rebecca are joined by moderator Annie Carl, who owns and runs the Never Ending Bookshop in Edmonds, Washington. Annie will take the conversation from here. We are talking about being disabled parents, and I myself am a disabled parent as well. So we are going to jump in here with our first topic, um, which is while you were expecting your baby, what were some joys um, you had about being a parent, concerns, and as all parents do, what did you over prepare for? And um, let's start with Rebecca on this one. And then we'll um, just kind of open it up. Eliza, if you want to jump in at some point. Yeah. Okay. I will be honest. I'm having a hard time accessing my um, pre-parenting brain. Like, what did I, what did I imagine this would be like? Um, I think, um, I think part of it, it's a little embarrassing because I feel like so much of it feels naive now. I think um, part of what I was dreaming of was like a child that was basically the same as me but smaller and really cute who could just seamlessly fit into this life that I already loved um and thankfully and wonderful and exciting and um very unexpected ways. My son is nothing like me. Um, so that, that's funny for me to think about now. But I think I, I kind of imagined it that way. I think when I thought about being a parent, I I was really curious about an experience that I had only witnessed as an outsider. Um, and so I was um, anticipating, it was almost like if life was an amusement park and it was like the ride I had never ridden, I, I was just curious about what that would be like um, in a way that was exciting to me, in a way that I um, was anticipating joyfully. Um, but also I think in ways that were intimidating. Um, I also am in a wonderful, loving, supportive family and none of them are disabled. None of them um, kind of knew how to guide me through the particularities of parenting from this vantage point. And it was really hard for me to imagine a lot of the logistics of it. I felt really confident that we would figure it out, but I also like didn't know how to picture it in my head before my son was here. Um, so I think in some ways the over-preparing, I'm trying to think of what I fixated on. I think one of the things that was really important to me was um, a car seat, which is funny because my son was born in 2020, the spring of 2020. So when he actually arrived, like we didn't go 
anywhere. Um, we like never left the house because of these early COVID days, but um, we were really, I really fixated on a car seat. It was really important to me to get a car seat that rotated so I could um, transfer him into the car more easily from my wheelchair. Uh, but mm. they weren't selling those in the States at the time. I think they do now, but uh, we had to order ours from somewhere in Europe. Um, and so it took, and it was during COVID lockdown. So it took like months and months to arrive. And we finally got this rotating car seat that we rarely used, um, but we had it. And I think I, I successfully used it a handful of times before my son grew up like was bigger and was starting to crawl in his car seat by himself and the whole thing was moot. So um, it's funny to think about the things that, um, you know, like you have this energy of trying to imagine how you're going to pull this thing off and it gets funneled into this one very specific thing. And then, yeah. I don't know, the kid yeah. changes and it's not needed anymore. And you're just like adapting with the next thing. But right. um, that was some oh. of it for me. Uh, Eliza, how did you feel pre-pregnancy? And you have two children, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's 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 uh, interesting when you have two children, when you look at the differences of what you felt. Uh, so for me, I think the first one was like <laughs> very nervous, I guess, and anxious as to how it was going to work. And um, I think because, you know, when you grow up uh, being quite medicalized uh, throughout your life, you kind of almost, you know, because of that, see yourself as um, slightly broken, I guess, at times because of that medicalization. And so I was just constantly worried that I was going to lose my first baby. I, I had a lot of falls as well. So I would uh, fall over in the house as, as I was doing things and was always just a bit nervous that that would end uh, in the pregnancy being over. So I, I would go to the hospital a lot. Um, and I think there was a lot of fear around that first uh, pregnancy and birth that was exaggerated by the medical professionals. Um, uh, you know, for instance, with my first birth, I, I wasn't allowed to get off the bed at all. Um, whereas in the second pregnancy, I, I was able to, you know, sit on sit on a ball. And um, it just, I guess, learning how to advocate for myself really changed things. And also just that, I guess, um, knowing how to, um, you know, knowing my rights really as a, as a disabled person and parent. Um, but ultimately I was also just full of excitement and um, I think I, I knew how, <laughs> I guess I knew what kind of love it was going to be like, but I probably didn't realize how big that love extends. And you know, for instance, I'm, I'm away from my children at the moment doing some advocacy work and it just almost feels like, you, yeah, you're just a bit lost <laughs> when you're not around your children because it's just such a, a deep pull um, that never ends and um so I probably didn't ex expect just how big that love and that pull would be. Yeah, ag agreed. Um, so while I was pregnant, I was a high risk pregnancy, even though there wasn't really anything to be high risk about, mm -hmm. except I have pelvic floor neuropathy. So I have a neurogenic bowel and bladder. And so I had a scheduled cesarean, which I wasn't thrilled about. And I was going to, and I had a general for my cesarean because my spinal scar goes to mid back so that I couldn't have any sort of um, epidural or, or anything else for the pain. And uh, of course the day before I went into labor <laughs> oh. uh, and, and, uh, but I wasn't dilating at all. And so that was um, kind of scary. And so the, my pregnancy was actually very easy um, and I obsessed the thing that I, uh, over-prepared for was, um, I, so I'm mobile, but I don't walk very fast. I have AFOs, which are leg braces and I use walking sticks. And, um, I was terrified that my child was going to run away from me. And I still kind of am. I have a very active seven-year-old and he, he, uh, loves running and playing, um, and uh, so I was, I was really concerned about him running away from me, maybe as a toddler, maybe into traffic because he didn't understand that mommy couldn't catch up to him. Mm -hmm. So that was something that I worried quite a bit about. And, uh, and thankfully he kind of seemed to get it like right away. 
that when he was with mommy, um, he couldn't run off because mommy couldn't get to him. But when he was with daddy, he could pull all kinds of shenanigans. Um, but, but like you both, I was, I didn't know quite what to expect first time having a child last time having a child. Um, and I, I just, um, I was excited, but I had no resources as well. So, um, except for the, like you said, Eliza, my doctors, I had a a wonderful OBGYN, but my doctor, my other doctors were very concerned. And I was like, why, why? (laughs) I'm not going through any active treatment right now. I don't have any planned surgeries. In fact, this was my last surgery eight years ago was my cesarean. And so it was like, I felt like I was sort of overwatched and that sent my anxiety through the roof. Um, Cause yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I just, I don't want to cut you off though, Annie. What were you going to No, No, no. Oh, I was just going to say, as we all know, um, those of us who have medical trauma in our lives, you know, anything medically related is going to set off some, some anxiety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I just wanted to say that like already, even just listening to both of you describe those early days and anticipations and the pregnancy is just, I just feel like a relief in my body. I forget like how, special it is to share with people and be in a space with people who understand that unique experience. And it's like bringing me back to some of those early days that I had kind of put in the attic, I guess, and, and filed away because my pregnancy was very straightforward too. And I kind of forgot how much fear I had around it. Um, Eliza, like I, I, when you were talking about your experience, I'm just remembering like, oh my gosh, yes. Like every time um, like every day I sort of half expected to lose my son until, um, until the end of our pregnancy, my pregnancy. And I, I kind of forgotten that that felt so real at the time because in the end it was, it was very straightforward. Um, I have a lot of non-disabled friends who've had much more complicated pregnancies and, um, and deliveries than I did. And, and, um, how surreal that is in the, around all all of the hype and energy of the medical system around you and all of the constant check-ins. And I I, I was grateful for those. Like I was glad that I was, I was glad that we were checking in on him as much as we were. I felt a little bit like it felt strange that like most people didn't get those check-ins. Yeah. Like I did like, but um, also it was like, wow, I, I don't, I don't know how necessary that was in the end. Yeah. I, um, had some fear because my my disability my original disability and I was diagnosed at two weeks old is um genetic and so my it's a neurotube disability and so I that first ultrasound where we found out gender and we saw the whole baby I was like I know this isn't protocol but could we maybe check baby's spine first please Mm. because they can tell now um if babies have, um, some sort of neurotube disability. And I wouldn't know what that would mean for me as a a parent with that same, maybe a same or similar disability. And if I wanted to go through all of that trauma again with a child, um, I would have, because I wanted this baby so much. Um, but it would have been a very different relationship. Thankfully, um, the tech was like, well, no, I can't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but when they got to, um, Calvin's spine, um, it was complete and whole and a hundred percent healthy. So he, he, I was so grateful for that. So grateful, but also like, I mean, being disabled is not a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. And especially now, like I was born in 84, medical technology then was mm-hmm. not what it is now. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. Um, you if you mind, Annie, Annie, oh, if I yeah, just, spe- yeah, just speak, on, speak on that. Go, go. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I had a very similar experience in that it's a 50% chance for, for me to pass my disability on to my child. And I have uh, Charcot-Marie tooth, so it's a neurological condition that... Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, it has genetic components, as degenerative, so it um, continues to, the symptoms progress over time. Uh, and, yeah, I think that you're, you're right. It's such a tricky, tricky thing to navigate um, because, like, for me, I, you know, I wouldn't change my disability. Like, it's actually just so who I am and uh, it's enabled me to meet great people and to be part of a great community and uh, I feel like really I, I feel like it's given me a lot of purpose in my life as well like to be able to write about it and sing about it I'm a musician um, but I think what I what I have found really tricky is that we live in an ableist world we live in a world that's not built for us we live in a world where we're stared at discriminated against uh, you know for me bullied as a child and I think that that's where it becomes tricky. It's not that I don't want my child to be disabled because, as I said, disability is, for me, what I think is just so what makes the world wonderful. But I think it's that it, the society that we live in is uh, an ableist society. And I was afraid of that. I was afraid, you know, and, you know, I don't know if my child has my disability yet, but I guess I am fr afraid of them living in a world that's not built for them and living in a world that uh, is ableist. So I think that's why it's tricky. It's not that I don't, I don't want them to be disabled. I just don't want them to live in a world that's disabling. Oh, that mm -hmm. is so well put. I, I think that was my fear as well, where, mm -hmm. um, what, uh, especially Western culture, but, but globally, we're not ready. I mean, I'm the same about my disability. I, um, it's a part of me and I've had people ask if you were born differently or you had the option to be different, like genetic editing and CRISPR technology and all that nonsense. There we go. I swear like a sailor. So that might come <laughs> out at some point. Um, and I don't know the answer to that. I mean, would my life be easier maybe but I really like who I am mm -hmm. and being disabled is a huge part of that and I think mm -hmm. you both can agree with that mm -hmm. I mean I like you both already and we just met so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think this is an interesting part of the experience and one that I didn't really anticipate exactly um like I my disability is not genetic so that wasn't necessarily on my radar with my son but I um, I, before becoming a parent, I, I have seen disability in my life as being like this thing that brings me so much beauty and connection and, um, and joy and insight and strength. And I anticipated feeling all of that, um, with my son and I do. And also I'm just starting to experience, um, some of the like regular old ableism I'm used to experiencing, but experiencing it along with my son is so different. Um, and it is more complicated than I anticipated. The feeling of like, um, like when, when we go to his school and I'm used to children asking me about my wheelchair all the time. I have 25 nieces and nephews, like I grew up around kids. I'm used to kids' questions, but there's something so different about that when my son is with me. Um, and it's not that I think that disability is like a burden on him or the world. And yet he's experiencing ableism because of his proximity to me. And, um, and that is hard for me in a way I just didn't know how to imagine before living it with him. I don't know if, if the two of you feel that way out in the world, like inaccessible spaces are one thing when they impact you and another thing when like your kid is attached to it. Um, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't, it was not something I was thinking about before he arrived and we were out living life together. Yeah. I, um, yes, we were just at the fair, um, the state fair a week, uh, ago Saturday and yep, there was some of that going on. There was some of him, like, like he was asking me why I wasn't going on rides with him and daddy. Mm. First of all, I don't love rides. I get very emotional <laughs> sick of rides. Pass. And I, so after my um, cancer, I, I, developed, I had stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was 24. That was 15 years ago. And I had a metastasized skull tumor. So I developed hydrocephalus. 
So I have a shunt and I get motion sick very easily now. Um, and, uh, so I don't really go on rides unless it's like the fairy tale rides at Disneyland mm-hmm. where I know I won't like, I got motion sick on the Ferris wheel. Calvin begged me to go on the Ferris wheel. Mm-hmm. And he was like, mommy, why can't you get in and out of the rides? You know, it wasn't even like anyone else at the fair who was mm-hmm. like being weird or anything. Mm-hmm. I'm, pr- I, I kind of tend to ignore that sort of shenanigan business. But I, I, um, it was Calvin who was like, mommy, you should do this. And I was like, I don't think mommy wants to puke today. <laughs> <laughs> so we're actually headed to Legoland next weekend, um, which was his birthday present in August. And I'm concerned about flying. Um, I'll be wearing my FOs. We're going like three or four hours early. So TSA can thoroughly inspect mm-hmm. everything. But he's seeing all of that. Mm-hmm. and he is responding to it the way he's responding to everything else he is seeing. Mm-hmm. And I don't quite know how that is yet because while he's seven, he is not really verbalizing any of that to me or Ian, my husband yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Eliza, do you want to, do you want to? Yeah, I guess I just, I feel that what you're both saying really strongly. And I think that it um you know as somebody that has felt like ultra visible and and invisible at times as well Mm -hmm. uh it's it makes it really hard when you are like really visible and not in in a positive way around your children Mm -hmm. and I think um, my daughter is now eight and she's only just starting to really notice that whereas my three-year-old is still in the beautiful oblivion of Mm. life um oblivious to it all uh but yeah she's just starting to say like why do people stare so much Mm -hmm. um and I think that it's really hard to to answer that question because it's like well I I don't really know why I think that we are still as a society deeply afraid of difference and I think that the lack of representation and of, of disability in, in media, you know, it has a lot to answer for in, in those spaces. But I think it's ultimately ingrained, isn't it, in society uh, that disability is a deficit, that disability is a negative. And it's hard to tell her that when she's really in a, in a, a slightly different world, I feel, because she is getting that re- representation that I was seeking as a child. Mm-hmm. She's got so many great yeah. books, books now that, to celebrate diversity and I think just hearing me talk about it in a way that uh, is, you know, either, you know, neutral or uh, celebratory of, of my disability, I think that that enables her to see it as as what it is, which is not a, not a bad thing. And uh, one time we were uh, lining up, it was during COVID, so we had to line up to get into her kindergarten um, and she we had to yeah line up because of social distancing and at the time a, a parent and a child came up and was next to us and the child asked out of the blue like they do that is so mm-hmm. <laughs> so say it how it is and just said you know what is wrong with you why do you walk like that mm-hmm. and um the mother who you know I had just been speaking to about writing a children's book about disability at that time and um, was saying, you know, that I have a disability and I've had it since I was a child. And uh, she ended up saying that I'd been in an accident. And I thought that was just so telling. And uh, um, because then at that point, my daughter was very like, what? Like you, you were in an accident, were you, mommy? Kind of thing. Like, oh, wow. no. Like, and then she said, well, you you, you have a disability, don't you, mum? So, but I think yeah. it just wow. showed, showed that. Uh, I guess the fear of getting it wrong, maybe like the fear of uh, using the word disability. That mm-hmm. that, that even even to use a word is is a negative thing. So I think mm-hmm. that just yeah really showed me still how far we've got to go in that space. Wow, very far. Yeah, I'm a writer as well. So all three of us, yay, writers. Yay. And um, my third book is coming out next month, but it is um an anthology of science fiction and fantasy which is my favorite genre and um it's written it's short stories with positive representation written by disabled authors 
I am so excited for it. It's got Nicola Griffiths. She wrote the foreword and Nisi Shaw. Um, they both have stories in it. They're the two like big best-selling authors that are in it. Otherwise, these people are unknown. Um, oh the my authors gosh. who are in it. And I remember when we opened submissions in January of 2022 and just the deluge of submissions. Uh, Eliza, I don't know if, if this happened with um, We Got This, but the the need for representation, disabled voices, I feel like mm-hmm. our minority is still the invisible minority, even as people of color, LGBTQ, um, other minorities rise, especially in publishing and representation in TV and movies and other like media outlets. Um, disabilities are still lacking that really great positive um, representation. And so um, again, Eliza, thank you so much for creating We Got This about parenting, because as Rebecca said, there's there aren't very many, there's maybe more now, but there still aren't very many resources. And there's a lot of misinformation in the world about being a disabled parent, yeah, which absolutely. we are examining now. <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's uh, really why I created We've Got This is... Um, well, firstly, it, it it was kind of started when I um, decided to to even have a child when I was um, going to see my neurologist who I'd been seeing for so long and he uh, told me that he didn't think I should have a child. And I realised that, yeah, that, that time feeling really vulnerable and a lot of shame. And uh, then I went on the internet and started trying to find uh, other disabled parents and other stories about disabled parents. Uh, I did, you know, start to link up with more community at that point, but I have to say that the narrative was really like it would be a burden to have mm. a parent with a disability. Um, and, and I also just wow. couldn't, yeah, unsee, I guess, the, mm-hmm. the constant uh, discrimination and, you know, seeing that, children were still being taken from their parents. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, especially parents with an intellectual disability that, you know, ch- children are still taken at birth even and not and, and parents are not given support mm-hmm. to parent and they're set up to fail and there's just so much uh, stigma. Um, and I think that was like what really fired me up and made me realise that anthologies like this need to exist to be the representation that uh, disabled people seek and need but also to um, be a book I I was I I really hope that you know non-disabled people read it and medical professionals Mm -hmm. read it because that's where I feel like true change needs to happen yes absolutely I uh, when I got pregnant with Calvin I had just like, I was a month and a half into being a first time business owner. Um, You know what they say about getting pregnant when you're trying to get pregnant and then you set it down and then you get pregnant. right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, I had uh, no longer on my care team, but I had a doctor say, well, maybe you should pick one and do that one because you can't do both at the same time. And I was like, excuse you? Excuse because mm-hmm. they this person and that I mean we've all experienced medical bullying from medical mm-hmm. professionals I'm sure in our own ways I definitely have mm-hmm. um and um I uh, immediately took this person off my care team um but I was so shocked that the reason they were saying that was because I am disabled and um. I, yeah, I was terrified of being a parent who isn't first time parenting, even second time parenting, even 10th time parenting. (laughs) I mean, it's a big deal. And Ian and I, um, we weren't young, but we were young as parents. We were, um, I were both 31 when I got pregnant and first time. And, um, and this person also alluded to the fact that I was so lucky that I had, uh, Mm -hmm a non-disabled spouse. And I was like, double excuse you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, 
and I uh, man- managed just fine to open mm-hmm. a bookstore. It's going to be eight next month. And my kid is seven and he's doing just fine. You know, we feed him regularly. Thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was just um, out, out, like outstanding to me from the medical community the amount and all our lives I'm sure for all three of us the amount of like shock that we can actually live normal for us lives um that that we can be parents that we can be people from the medical community is is very shocking and surprising to me but also not if you look at history um and and all of that so um well it is interesting to me sorry just to add one more thing oh no go for it on i absolutely interesting to me that like you think about the world all of the layers to parenting and all of the ways that it can be made complicated um the ways that parenting can become strained there's so many different um facets to parenting and it is really fascinating how much culturally and I I guess particularly from the medical community but I think from all pockets of communities um, Mm -hmm. how we like categorize disability in parenting as somehow fundamentally different from any other any other intersection of parenting like somehow this this is partitioned off as too difficult or too much of a burden I mean I I don't know. I think every parent is a human and humans are all complicated. And there's so many things that can make, can, can throw parenting in one direction or the other. And I think what we all need is support and that in meeting us wherever we are as parents. And I, it's just, it's infuriating and, and frustrating and kind of baffling to me how we continue to persist in categorizing disability and parenting as somehow something you know totally separate kind of experience in parenting i think there's plenty of parents who are like profoundly um impatient and um or like profoundly busy and don't have time you know like there's just so many different things that um we don't look at the same way we don't treat the same way um we i don't know somehow that's like a normal layer to parenting but this one, this one is just beyond, um, I don't know if that's making sense, but yeah, I think about that a lot. I love the way you talk about that, the way that you describe that. It's just perfect. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Like there's absentee parents and there's umbrella parents or not umbrella parents, helicopter parents. And there's, yeah, like there's all different kinds of way of parenting. I think, um, and I don't know if you two would agree with this, but for me, I'm very lucky to have my family nearby. When I was growing up, um, my grandparents were um, in Massachusetts or in California. We had to travel a ways. So my parents had found family that were um, people that I knew growing up, uh, friends of ours, um, family friends that now we would refer to as found family. Um, but raising Calvin... Um, my parents are close by Ian's parents are close by our moms are like besties which is I think amazing it's so cute they call each other like once a week to talk about Calvin and like how their lives are going it's really quite sweet Um, but I and I have a lot of found family myself and Ian does as well Um, to me raising a child we've become so like you have to do it yourself mm. or you're not doing it right. And we're, I, I feel like, um, especially in the United States, but maybe in Australia as well and other Western cultures, um, if you're not doing it by yourself, you're not doing it right mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I love that my mom and my mom-in-law um, break up how often they get to see Calvin. And when he's in school, they alternate Saturdays. And they are excited to have him at their house. And I get a little break and Ian gets a little break mm-hmm. and we can, you know, it's, it's, um, and it's not just that, like my very best friend who is, we're not religious, but her 
kind of role as is godmother to Calvin and her husband is is our, is the godfather. <laughs> um and he calls them Tia Tessie and Tia Mike. Um and they take him all the time. And it like I feel like mm-hmm. there are some parents who would be like, why are you offloading your kid onto like their your your relatives all the time? Why can't you be a parent all the time? And it's like, well no, you know it, parenting is a a sort of a tribal thing you know you look way back into history and it's a community of people you know that takes a village to raise a child I really believe that Mm -hmm. um and I am very lucky to have a, a very wonderful village um but I don't get the bootstrapping element to parenting that so many people hold it's like well if you can't do it yourself and you're disabled what yeah well and it's I think especially for mothers somehow in my mind like the mother especially is supposed to be able to do all of that all by herself Mm -hmm. yes Um, and I remember um reading some parenting book by like a non-disabled person and she had like a whole chapter about in the book about how they had night nurses who would come in and be with the baby throughout the whole night and I remember thinking how strange it is that like for a non-disabled parent to hire someone to come in and watch their baby throughout the night is just like that's fine but if a disabled parent choose like needs to have someone come in and watch the baby for a certain amount of time or um, always needs another person in the room or in the home that that's somehow fundamentally different when like, um, <laughs> right? Like why would that be categorically different? Like if we're fine with parents or, or, or like a parent who travels all the time for work and has someone watching their kid for a week at a time, um, it's fine if they're doing that for work, but if they need to do that because of their disability, somehow that's fundamentally different. I don't know, I could rant on about this, but um, yeah. it's just completely inconsistent. It doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah. why we would have a different standard in this case. Yeah. What do you think, Eliza? I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, this, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, why? I just can't figure out what, what that is, but I mm-hmm. feel like it's got to be just ableism that exists, isn't it? That we just have to, for some, for some reason, prove our, mm-hmm. you know, prove ourselves and, the standards are very, very different. And yeah, I think that makes it really, really hard. And to constantly feel like in a way you are being watched, I think, and and, and almost set up to fail. So I think that's, yeah, definitely something I'm passionate about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, those are all really great points. Um, what, um, so we've talked a lot about disability, um, sort of like other people, judgment and societal judgment and representation and those kinds of things. How do you feel your disability, um, or maybe just you, because our disabilities have formed us into the people we are, um, how do you feel it's helped with your parenting? Um, Eliza, do you want to take this one? And then we'll yeah. switch to Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, in in the in the book, um, we've got this. There's you know, I think twenty five plus families, and I think the common thread within those families is, uh, well, just that they really are like all families, <laughs> and uh, also just how, um, I guess, because you know, we live in a world that is inaccessible and uh, there are many barriers in the world that we live in. And so I think that we end up having to navigate that world and be, uh, you know, flexible and creative in the the way that we adapt. And um, I think that like, I realised after I had my child that I was like, oh, like, I know how to to do this. I can think of a way to adapt, you know, to how to give my child a bath, you know, safely or how to get my child out of the cot or the car, how to um, get up off a seat if I'm 
um, holding my baby if I do it this way and put, you know, multiple pillows underneath me and around me and all of the things, you know, you just are constantly problem solving. And I do it really, really well because I've had to do it all my life. Mm-hmm. And um, I yeah. think also I was a lot of my uh, friends when they had their babies, they were kind of put off, <laughs> I guess, about how things just suddenly had to change really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, oh, I have to, you know, my baby needs to sleep right now and I thought this was going to happen. And I guess I I am really a p- quite patient person because um, I've, yeah, had to sometimes just, not you know not be able to you know doing do the things that I thought I was going to do that day or um because of the life that I've had to to live so I think that all of those skills those problem solving skills the creative thinking the ability to adapt to be flexible um patient all of those things add to my uh um, parenting skills I also think that I am quite a like a deep thinker and and are a resilient person and um, expressive and I think that that it has been because of my disability I think that I have had to ride various emotions very early on in my life and that makes me really I don't know I feel like that, that I've brought that to my parenting like we do a lot of art together we are quite dramatic in our house we dance around together we're singing and um yeah I think that has really been a positive as well and just finally I think also as I was saying before like speaking about disability in my home and talking about how disability can you know be something that is celebrated has made my daughter very uh good person ultimately inclusive person kind person and uh accepting of others and all people and just yeah she doesn't like we have loads of disabled people in our house and I think that that is um yeah been a real positive for for my children just to and to see a a disabled person thriving and and, um being being proud of who they are Yeah. Uh, the pride. I think that's very important. Yeah. To um, helping set up our child, our children for success is being mm-hmm. um, confident, which I um, wasn't a very confident person until I opened my store. And now I learned how to build boundaries and stop being a people pleaser, <laughs> which I feel like a lot of people who um, are sort of raised in the medical community mm-hmm. and industry become people pleasers out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's been my experience. I don't know about either of you, mm. but yeah. Um, but also being a mom <laughs> and building boundaries with Calvin. Cause he's, he's the kind of kid he comes home from school and he's like, well, MJ's parents let him do whatever he wants. And it's like, I highly doubt that, <laughs> but he's like, well, I want to do whatever I want mommy. And it's like, well, no, no, no. <laughs> so. Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah. I was just nodding my head vigorously over here, Eliza, while you were talking. Um, Cause I, a lot of that just resonates so deeply with me too. I, I, I think, and this is a bit about what I wrote. This is a bit what I wrote in the essay um, and we've got this, but I think I was just kind of beginning to piece together um, what a tool set disability has been to me in parenting um, the adaptability, the patience um, that I have built into my body, um, the creative problem solving, um, all of that, um, I feel like has given me so much in my parenting. But I, I think that, I don't know, my understanding of that is just deepening um, as he as my son gets older. Um, when he, I think he was about two years old um well actually even before that uh, a big a big thing for me with him was um and i mentioned it at the beginning like getting him in and out of that car seat and as he got older and as we were getting out in the world more often we were um i was transferring him in public more and more often and um and 
I remember um, being so put off and, and frustrated by people trying to intervene and um, help him, help me get him into the car seat or out of the car seat. And uh, I was venting to a friend of mine about that, um, Alex Wegman, who's an amazing disabled parent, um, and everyone should find her and follow everything she makes and writes. Um, but Alex has two kids and is a little bit further down on the path of disabled parenting than me. And I was venting to her about that. I, I said, in, in my venting, I said something like, Ugh, I'm so annoyed that people are trying to help me because I could do this faster anyways. Um, I could get him in his car seat faster anyways. And she stopped me in that moment and she said, even if you can't, which was actually more accurate, like I couldn't do it faster. Um, but, but she said, even if you can't, um, you, you're his mom and you get to do it however you want to in whatever way works best for you. Um, and I really took that, that principle to heart and thinking like, oh, we, we get to do this however we want to. There's no need to match anybody's pace. There's no need to um, go through the same motions in, in this or that. Um, and I think that as Otto, my son Otto gets older, um, I'm, I'm leaning into my disability more than I expected and, and finding a lot of strengthen that. I think that we, um, we are collaborators together. We move slowly together. I have come to treasure the very slow, um, process of getting him in and out of his car seat. Like that becomes a time for us to make eye contact and talk about his day. And we don't have to match the pace of the other parents at school. Like, um, we don't have to do this in any particular way. It, we get to do this in the way that makes the most sense to us. And I think disability has been sort of um, the nudge or the prompt to remind me of that um, in a way that I think I might forget or lose track of without that prompt. So I, I feel really grateful for dis the nudge of disability to, to remind me like we get to we don't have to match anyone. We get to do our own thing. What makes the most sense to us right now in this situation, me and my kid. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I think that that, in some ways, I feel like that pushes me to adhere to my values as a parent in a way I'm really grateful for. It's wonderful, yeah. So we have just a few more minutes left. Is there anything um, either of you would like to say um, kind of to the other disabled parents who are listening to this and maybe the parents who are listening to this, because, you know, we're all parents here. I, I, I can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ahead. You go ahead, go ahead, Amy. I was, okay. all I was going to say is like, I feel like I want to say so much and I want to like hold their face in my hands and have <laughs> eye contact and, and okay. have a whole long speech. And that's not really work for radio, but what were you going to say, Annie? I was just going to say that you got this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Parenting doesn't come with an instruction manual and there's no right way to do it. There's many very wrong ways to do it. Mm -hmm. There's no right way to do it. We're all just doing it the best mm -hmm. we can. Mm -hmm. And that's great. Yeah. I think uh, the thing that I find, so since the books come out, I, I get a lot of messages online, which is so great of, of people saying that they are disabled, but they, have been told time and time again that they shouldn't be a parent, even by their mother and father and their brothers and sisters, and they're, they're told they can't, they're told they shouldn't, and that this book enables them to see the way forward. And that to me is just like, yeah, I just it makes me feel like this book is just so purposeful for that. And I think we are just constantly told throughout life that we're not good enough and that, disabled means that you're somehow less than and I think actually having a child was the true catalyst for me to completely accept myself and now you know I, I have feet that look very very different legs that look very different and um, I used to hide and not you know not go to the beach because I was just I guess stared at so much and I think having a child now and I go to the beach and I just embrace who I am and I think that truly comes from having children and going 
I want to model that for them. I want them to love who they are because they're incredible and what whoever they are and whatever they become. And that enabled me to look at myself and, and notice that I wasn't loving myself. And I look back and realise it's just due to lack of representation and, mm. and, and inaccurate representation. And um, I think, yeah, I think that I just want to tell disabled people that, you know, whoever tells you you can't just know, you know, if, if you want to be a parent, then I think that you can and that you should and that, uh, you know, we can do it and we do, we've got this and um, there is a whole community out there waiting for you with open arms and we, we are, we are here and um, let's do it together, really. And I think I really value my online community, disability community, and I, just to have that representation as soon as I open up my social media channel and see disabled people doing it every day, that to me is just so Oh, it's it's everything actually. So I just, yeah, I just want to tell people that you, even if you've been told you can't or shouldn't and you really want to, just go for it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, I would echo all of that and I, I would say if you do want to be a parent or you already are a parent, I think the the dis- your disability um, is not the thing necessarily that you have to overcome or they're going to be the one weakness in your parenting or whatever. But I think that there is a tremendous power um, in that part of you as a parent, that that is a gift that you have to offer. That is a, um, that can be a template that can be a permission slip that we can be so, we can do this so many different ways. And like, let's imagine more for parenting. Let's breathe some life into these old tropes of what this is supposed to look like. And, um, build something new and you're not alone. I think we've been led to believe that we are and we're not. Um, you're surrounded by people who are also figuring it out and making building their own thing. And, um, and yes, like Eliza said, ready with open arms. That was Eliza Hall, editor of the anthology, We've Got This, Essays from Disabled Parents, in conversation with writer Rebecca Tausig, contributor to the anthology, and our moderator was Annie Carl. Tune in next week for a conversation between author Zadie Smith and critic Parul Sagal, recorded in front of a live audience here in Portland. This has been Literary Arts, The Archive Project. It's a retrospective of some of the most engaging talks from the world's best writers for more than 35 years of literary arts in Portland. The Archive Project is produced in collaboration with Oregon Public Broadcasting. To hear more, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our executive producer is Andrew Proctor. The show is produced by Crystal Ligori and Matthew Workman for radio and podcast with oversight by Amanda Bullock and support from Liz Olofsson and Alberto Swem. Special thanks to literary arts marketing staff, Jyoti Roy and Hope Levy, and to the entire literary arts staff, board, and community. The show would not be possible without them. Thank you also to the band Emancipator for our theme music, and thank you to all of you for listening. I'm Amanda Bullock, and this has been another episode of the Archive Project from Literary Arts. Join us next time and find your story here.